you can't tell me that our kids aren't some of the cutest kids you've ever seen. Oh, man, I, I was over there kneeling down and uh, uh, talking to a lot of the, the children as they were waiting. And there was uh, about five or six girls around me. And I said to one of the little gals, I said, when you get up there, just spin around and smile. She said, my mommy and my daddy told me not to do that. <laughs> So I'm sorry, whoever, if, if your daughter comes home, another little gal, I asked her, I said, go up there and jump up and down, and then turn around, okay, because you have a beautiful dress on. She said, <laughs> and she said, I get messed up when I turn around. <laughs> I think I, I probably would too. <laughs> oh my goodness, I could just stand there and watch him for hours. Uh, praise God for our children's ministries and the opportunity we get to see them worship in front of us. It brings, really does, it just brings joy to me uh, to see children growing up in uh, an environment where they get to sing and worship about Jesus Christ and uh, to watch him. So grateful for our volunteers, too, and our staff that helps them grow in Jesus and worship. Eight weeks ago, we began a journey, a quest, and you were part of that. Many of you were part of that. And so for eight continuous weeks, we have been talking about how to live out this quest, what it takes. And behind me are props and illustrations from each message that tried to bring to light the truths of what we were talking about. And eight weeks ago, we began with this reality. I ask you to be all in. And we went to this boat, and this boat was behind me, and I brought it to the front of the stage, and, and we laid it out in front, and then we asked you to take a piece of paper and to make a boat and it was fun to try to watch some of you do that. And then we took that boat and we rode on it that we were all in. If you missed out on that, all the messages are available on our website. And we ask you if you're all in. And we burned the ships outside. We had men carry them outside. And we burned the ships saying we're not going back. And, and that came from, this whole series was kicked off by a story in 1519. The Spanish explorer, Hernando Cortez, decided that he wanted to seize the treasure that had been in front of him and the others had been hoarding. He took 500 soldiers and 100 sailors and landed his 11 ships on the shores of the Yucatan. Despite the large army that was against him, and he was vastly outnumbered, history tells us, no one had ever, ever conquered these people or this place for over 600 years. And many tried and failed. And many of his own sailors and many of his own soldiers were unconvinced. But being loyal to Cuba, they ran and they left. Cortez got even wind of this plot that people were leaving. And he captured the ringleaders that were trying to start a coup within his ranks. He wanted to make sure that the, remind, that the remainder of these men were completely committed to the mission and so he did something that's gone down in history, and we've repeated it, and you've probably heard it in, in many classes at school, that was completely insane to his people and would be, in some ways, completely insane to people today. Cortez gave this order to burn his own ships. When we attack, burn the ships. There's no plan B. There's no alternative. It's, it's burn the ships. We're all in. We're either going to take it or we're not going to take it. Some of his men resisted, wondering how they would get home. And his answer was, if we are going home, we are going home in their ships. What a commander. The path forward was clear for Cortez. It was all or nothing, 100% all in. The option of failure was gone. Conquer as heroes or die. Well, the ships were sunk and burned, and, and by doing this, a level of commitment was raised for his men, and they succeeded in this unlikely feat. In 600 years, no one else was able to conquer the Aztecs and plunder the riches like Cortez had done. They were able to do it simply because there was no choice. There was no second plan. There was no alternative. It was attack or die. The ships were gone. And the reality was this, that retreat is easy when you let yourself have the option. And so we began this series by saying, are you all in? 
Are you committed to Christ in 2016? So much that you would say, no matter what it is, no turning back. I'm all in. And so we began with this message. You can turn to 1 Kings 19. Look at 1 Kings 19. We're going to review this past and then give you a chance to see how many others applied these messages to their lives. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to 1 Kings 19. We began with this account that set up the series. 1 Kings 19. And we're going to read verses 19 to 21. 1 Kings 19. Stand with me and we'll read God's word out loud together. 1 Kings 19, verses 19 to 21. Look what this says and follow along and read it with me out loud. Verse 19, ready, read. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shephat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. You have a seat. Elijah was all in. We saw that he was all in. He was a farmer. And he went back. Elijah came to him. He told him, it's either follow me or not follow me. So he took his yoke of oxen. He slaughtered them. He burned his plow. And he ate the oxen. And he followed the command that Elijah the prophet had placed on his life. Going all in for him and for us means we live each day as though it is our last with God. And I told you some of these truths that in order to begin a new chapter, like Elijah, Elisha did, you must close the door to an old chapter in your life. So the question still surfaces, have you? Or is that just, I'm in, I'm in, this burden of ship. Are you willing And then I reminded us of this powerful group, this faithful group of missionaries called one-way missionaries who were all in. And when they were called to the mission field, they literally took their coffins with them. They put them on the ships. They took all their belongings and they placed all their belongings in this coffin. And when they landed to these mission points, they left the coffin there because there was no coming back. It was all in, reach these people, and when I die, bury me here. They were called one-way missionaries. They were all in. A.W. Milne, I referred to, was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the South Pacific, history tells us, knowing full well that the headhunters that had already lived there had martyred every single missionary that had ever been to the place that he was going to. Yet God called him. He said he was all in to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so he packed his coffin. He sailed to this place where every single missionary prior to him had his head lopped off. And for him, it was, they need Jesus. And if my head goes, bury me in my coffin. For 35 years, history tells us, he lived among that tribe and he loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of the village in the coffin that he put on the ship. And they inscribed this epitaph to his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. If we have the courage to burn our ships and go all in, like Cortez and A.W. Milne and Elisha did here, then God will part the water for us. It's stepping out and believing, even when many others don't, that I'm all in, God, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Next week after that, we took you to a story of, of four friends and we brought out this mat here and, and we, we literally, if you weren't here, we dropped it from the ceiling. No one knew it was there. And at the end of the service, we dropped it from that harness down and, and, and it came into the service much like it did when Jesus was speaking. And I ask you some questions. I ask you this question. Do you have four people that would carry your stretcher? If you were laying flat on your back, 
Are there four people? And I encourage you to write it in the margins of your Bible. And then I ask you this question. Would someone put your name as a stretcher bearer? Would they be willing to say, if I'm on my back, I know I can call you. And I told you that one act of obedience can turn into someone else's miracle. And it did for this man because there were so many people around Jesus that they couldn't get to him and they cut a hole in the roof and they dropped their friend and Jesus healed him. And he said, it's because of your friend's faith and your faith that you are healed. And the story we saw in, in Matthew, Mark chapter two and verse 12 was this man walking away. And then I reminded us that it's not good for man to be alone that we make poor decisions when we're all by ourselves, that we need community to live in. And so I encourage you. I said, if you don't have four friends, make four friends and be a friend to someone. And I reminded you of this, that that because of our view of ourselves, the enemy has us believing that we aren't someone that someone would want to be a friend to. And so every day of our lives, we struggle with our identity. And I reminded that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then I remind you that, that our identity is in Jesus Christ. And Christ gave us life for us. And there would be four people that would carry your stretcher. But you must see yourself like Jesus sees you. And then I showed you this video. Take a look at this. It was my choice. And now I will question myself for the next few weeks, maybe months. We had an option of two pathways to walk and they led to two doorways. It was a bit confronting actually, to be honest to see these big signs and feeling like you had to choose and be self-conscious of how you perceive yourself and perhaps if it lines up with how the rest of the world perceives you. I went through the average door. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't even hesitate. 我走的是一般。Am I choosing because of what's constantly bombarded at me, what I'm being told that I should accept, or am I choosing because that's what I really believe? I walked into that door with said average and I didn't feel really good after that because obviously I had rated myself average and nobody else. Todos os dias eu passo pela porta comum e ontem foi um dia único e eu optei por passar pelo bonita. I wanted to go through the average door, but my mum just pulled me over to the beautiful door. It was quite a triumphant feeling. It was like telling the world, I think I'm beautiful. I just wish more young women realized it. 要是再给我一次机会走在山门的话，我觉得我应该会选很美的山门。I think I would walk through the beautiful door. Acho que a porta bonita está completamente aberta para mim. Maybe, maybe I could walk in that door. You can. Next time I look into the mirror, I will see. Somebody really beautiful looking back at me. Beautiful is a great word. So why not see what's on the other side of that?
Hopefully you walked away that Sunday, and specifically ladies, knowing that you're beautiful in the eyes of God. And hopefully you walked away knowing that you're worth it, that Christ gave his life for you. Then we walked on to this next message, and some of you might remember that I took these blocks, and I took them to the front of the stage, and I built this wall. To be quite honest, it was kind of fun, but I built this wall. And I built this wall around me, and I said that every one of these blocks is a thought, and that we need to take every thought captive, and that we need to forcefully take every thought captive. And I built this wall around me that that we put ourselves in. And then the word of God in 2 Corinthians said we're supposed to demolish the strongholds of our thinking. And I took this sledgehammer and I busted through the wall to symbolize that we need to bust down and tear down our strongholds. Listen to what Paul said. Just listen to this in 2 Corinthians 10. I read this to you that Sunday. I read these thoughts to you. It says this. For the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready, we, Grace Community Church, to punish every act of disobedience. Once your obedience is complete, And then I reminded you and I reminded me that show me your thoughts, I'll show you your future. Show me what you think, I'll show you what you become. Show me what you allow to run through your mind, I'll show you who you think you are. Show me your thoughts, I'll show you your future. And I reminded us that we should take every thought captive and do what with it? I said this to you that Sunday. I said, take every thought captive and hold it up against the word of God because the word of God is a wrecking ball of truth. And so every thought that we have, we must hold it up against the grid of scripture because truth trumps lies. And for some of you and for some of us, I've said this. If you find yourself in a situation where you wonder, how in the world did I get here in this marriage? How in the world did I end up here with my thinking? And I said this to you. This is what your best thinking has gotten you. And then I reminded, yes, but God's word says we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Don't believe everything you think. Filter it against the word of God. And I reminded us from scripture, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. You must filter every thought. So have you been practicing that? When a thought comes, I said, speak truth out. Grab it forcefully, take it under control. And say, no, this is what I hear, but... This is what I know to be true. And if we're going to be all in for Jesus this year, we must take every thought captive. And then I brought out this heart, and you remember, and it was on stage, and, and it wasn't read at the time, and, and I pulled out this heart, and, and I began to write all these thoughts and all these sins that, that, that we have done or, or that you've done to someone, and, and I took this, this, this marker, and I began to write all the sins that we have all over our hearts, and I reminded us that Scripture says that love covers over a multitude of sins, And I left one corner of the heart open because many of us, we're willing to to forgive and we're willing to not bring up again and we're willing to keep no record of, but there's these corners of our hearts that we've been holding on to for years and I said, we must allow love to cover those too. 1 Peter 4, look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We brought up this, this verse, 1 Peter chapter 4. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We brought up the truths of 1 Peter chapter 4. Look what it says in verses 7 and 8. Peter said this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray above all. Look at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Love each other, what? Deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
And then I reminded us of some practical ways to love people who have harmed us or done things to us or things that we know about people. I said this, when you love like Jesus, you refuse to bring to public another person's sins. So have you been doing that? I said that love has a short memory and zip lips. And then I reminded us in Matthew chapter 7, the measure that which you judge others, God will judge you. And then I reminded us in in Matthew chapter 6 verse 15 that if you do not forgive others, that God won't forgive you. And then I said this, that fault finders, those who keep bringing up the sins of others, are often the gossipers in the group. And I brought out a paper shredder. And I said, some of you have been holding on to something that someone has done to you. You have this corner of your heart that you just refuse to let go of. And I took that issue that you have, and I let the paper shredder keep no record of it anymore. So are you all in? Are you still holding on? Is there a part of your heart? Is there a part, a corner of your heart? Like, I've forgiven all this, but love keeps no records. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Then we move to Romans chapter 8, and some of you might remember that. Not only is God with you, but he is for you. And we brought out this fence, and, and we brought it out here, and we had a green patch of ground here, and the fence was here, and on the other side was this green grass. And I reminded us that grass often seems greener on the other side, but maybe the most courageous thing that we could do in our journey is to stay put instead of stepping out. And I said often we glamorize what we think is more faith to, to go somewhere new. But often we don't think that maybe the bravest and most courageous thing that many of us could do is stay put and work our brown patch. In fact, look at Romans chapter 8. Let's remind ourselves of what we looked at that day. Romans chapter 8. Just turn back one book to Romans chapter 8. Paul said this in verse 31 to 35. What shall I say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And we looked at that, that the passage, he who did not spare his own son, but gave us him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I said he already gave his best, like anything else we ask is less than his best. So why wouldn't he be for us if he already gave us Jesus? And I reminded us that God is not neutral towards you. There are no back orders on his request on our request to God. He doesn't like, oh, hold on. Let me put that on the back order file. And I'm reminded that there's no expiration date to our prayers. Then I said this as we looked at this fence and we saw the other side of the green grass. I said this to us, is that, that sometimes we believe when God says he's going to work it out for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose, often God's good isn't what we think our good is. And often Good isn't necessarily a new set of circumstances. It might mean plant, fertilize that brown patch, water it, and let God shape you into the person. And that is good. And then I told you about a story by a man, former NBA basketball player, now assistant NBA coach, Monte Williams, who just during that week had lost his wife, in a horrific car accident. He woke up that day not knowing that was going to happen. He was left with his kids and himself. And we got a picture of him standing in his brown patch, speaking this about his wife at his funeral. Watch this. Spent uh, a good part of the day in Oklahoma today uh, where the memorial service was held for Ingrid Williams, uh, the (coughs) wife of Monty Williams, who was in Oklahoma City, assistant coach and had obviously ties to the San Antonio Spurs. Um, She died last week in a head-on accident uh, when a woman crossed the center line and hit her. And they had five kids. And uh, you you heard about uh, how powerful Monty Williams was um, when he spoke today. And so we felt it would be appropriate 
rather than talking hoops in this segment, just to give you a piece of what uh, Monty Williams had to say in the wake of uh, just unspeakable tragedy. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office. Uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you. The following week, I brought out two chairs and sat them down at the front of the stage. And I told the story and read the story in John chapter 5, where the man who was sick would sit by the pool and he would wait for the angels to come and to stir the water. And, and so when he wasn't healed, he began complaining. And he asked why he wasn't healed. He said, because people beat me in the water and because I got no one to put me in. And because of this, and he blamed them and blamed that. And he kept blaming and blaming and blaming and blaming. So he spent his life sitting by a pool, whining and complaining. And then we see where Jesus walks in in John chapter 5 into his life and asks him the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Like, he, and, and almost he's like, what do you think, Jesus? I wouldn't be sitting. He's, no, do you want to be healed? No, Jesus said, if you really want to be healed, then you will get off, off of your apathy and walk. And so we saw this account where before he was healed, what did he say? He said, you are cured. He says, you're cured. 
And before he got up, he was cured. But he had to leave the pool of complaints. So he sat there with all of his complaining friends. Day after day, week after week. It's hard, it's difficult, poor me! And like this man, many of us respond this way. We're not sure whose fault that got us to where we're at, but we know it's not ours. I'd reminded us that we needed to say goodbye to the first Adam. You know what the first Adam did? What did he do? He blamed it on Eve. And I said, since Genesis 3, all we do is blame. It's their fault. I wouldn't be so hard. This marriage wouldn't be so tough. It wasn't for him. My job wouldn't be so difficult. It wasn't for that boss. And I could be a better, better athlete. It wasn't for that seventh grade basketball coach. And we blame and we blame. And Jesus is saying, get up and walk. And yet some of us choose to just stay there. And I ask this, please. I said, please. Do you want to stay where you're at right here today or do you want to be in a different place one year from now? And I said this, please don't come back still sitting by the pool of complaints because no one wants to hear it anyhow. And then we walked into this story of Hosea and Gomer two weeks ago and and I'm reminded that every one of us, if we allow it, we're haunted by the skeletons of our past. And I brought out this visual, this closet with this skeleton in it. And I said, if we're not careful, we will spend the rest of our lives being haunted by something Jesus has already forgiven and chosen not to remember anymore. And I showed this beautiful picture of grace in Hosea chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3, where Hosea just kept going after his wife. Or even at one point in that account, he went to his live-in, her live-in lover's house knocks on the door and he says, hey, I'm still the husband of this woman that you're sleeping with and you're not taking care of her necessities. And I showed you in scripture where he gave her the man silver and gold. He said, here, if, you're, if, you're, if she lives here and since you're not taking care of, please take care of my wife. Unusual grace. And I reminded us that grace looks forwards and it doesn't look backwards. Now, every day when you and I go to the closet, we got to remember that God chooses not to remember our sins as far as the east is from the west. Get rid of the skeletons in the closet and live in grace. Then I said this, grace is often easier to give to someone else than it is to ourselves because we can be haunted by our sins. And you know who brings those thoughts? What do you do with them? You take every thought forcefully captive and you demolish it and say, no, I am forgiven. Otherwise, what did I say? You'll never become the person Christ wants you to be. And last week, we took a look at the rich farmer who had so much. And I, and I show you the respect that I have for farmers. And it wasn't because he wasn't doing, wasn't a hard worker. In fact, he was a man of, of incredible hard work. And, and he set himself up. He's just, he was smart. And, and I have respect for farmers. Yet he got to the end. And he didn't, Jesus didn't get on him because he had wealth and because he had riches. It was because of his heart. And I reminded us that we shouldn't be hoarders. That we should give our lives away. So we took these messages and then we put real life people with each message who had been impacted, who come to Grace Community. And this is their stories. Real life, the quest begins. Watch this. You know, in a lot of ways, over the years, I've had a lot of things that I've let just keep me bogged down and keep me sinking. And um, it was just time. I mean, just hearing everything that he had to say and what that message meant was just time to to let those things go i mean it wasn't just one thing it's multiple things that can sink your ship you as a guy or as a man don't realize how much impact you have in your own home and how much the things that you allow to hold you back are holding your family back and when you can finally release those things um we've seen my house catch on fire for jesus in a way that's never happened uh you know we've We've always been a church family. We've attended church, you know, religiously for years, and uh, but we've never seen the kind of impact in our home that we've seen in the last couple months since I've personally let go of those things and uh, 
and allowed myself to completely submit to Christ and, and be the man I was supposed to be. And with my wife and my kids seeing that now, it's making them be people that they've always wanted to be or what they should be. In the Bible, there is a paralyzed man, and they, his friends carried his stretcher through crowds and put him through the roof just to get him to Jesus. And Pastor Jim asked the question, do you have people that would carry your stretcher? Name four people. And I could only come up with three. So I reached out um, to someone that I knew, prayed a lot, um, just was always there for other people. And that morning, she actually had posted a message on her Facebook. Um, if you need anything or you need anyone, please message me. So I messaged her and we had a really long conversation that morning. And at the end of that conversation, she said, Ashley, I'll carry your stretcher. I would challenge anybody who feels lonely. Um, I feel like Satan will put you in a spot to where you don't have anyone to go to. And we make our worst decisions when we don't have anybody around us, if we don't have community. So if you're feeling lonely, our church is a big church, but there's a lot of people that really do care. And reach out to someone. Jim said something, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And if you don't have good friends around you that care about your spirituality and what your relationship with is with Christ, then you're going to fail. And so you need to make sure that you're putting yourself in a good position by having good people around you. My now wife and I uh, have been living together for a couple months. And, you know, um, of course, one of the things that he talked about was people who um, they live together, uh, Christian couples, you know, it, it, it's still, it's sin, you know, and, you know, we sometimes we draw in our mind uh, the picture that, you know, well, I've, I know this Christian couple or I know that Christian couple and, and they, you know, they live together and they did fine, but, you know, it's it it's not right. When it hit me, it hit me hard and I knew that I needed to do something about it. You know, I want to create a godly home. I want to be a good Christian husband. I want to be a good Christian father. I want to be, I want to create a godly home. And so, and my son was sitting there with me. Um, and right when he got to that, you know, my son looked at me and his, the eyes were on me. And uh, you know, I knew I, I couldn't let it go. So um, we talked to uh, Ted uh, Rondu and uh, he agreed, you know, he says, hey, I'll marry you guys, you know. And then Brody and I, my son, we went home and we sat down and, and talked to my, my wife and, you know, and she agreed, you know, to for us to get married. So pretty much two weeks later, we we eloped <laughs> and it, it was really cool. It was it was great. You know, I feel like God nudges us. Um, he gives us little nudges at times. And. You know, definitely, if, if you feel him, you know, call him, you know, answer, you know, um, don't let it pass you by. Because I do think that it's worth it. I think that, you know, that, that accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior is probably, you no, know, it definitely is. It is the, uh, it's the best thing, you know, ever. I had somebody that hurt me, and um, I carried that with me. I didn't talk about it. I just, it was there. Um, I, I thought about it and tried to shove it away, but it was still there. And uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it, it, it was a weight that I didn't need to carry. But when you, the Spirit speaks to your heart, you know, you, you jump on that. And um, when He tells you to forgive somebody, do it because. <laughs> That's your open door. You know, he stands at the door and knocks. That, that's your open door, and that, that's the moment. It's not worth holding on to anymore. I, I know what I've done. I know what I've been forgiven of. And uh, <clears throat> how can I hold a grudge against somebody when I know what Jesus has forgiven me for? Um, it, it, he shouldn't forgive me of anything, and uh, yet he does. He still loves me and blesses me, and his, his love is too big to hold on to that grudge um his love is too powerful it's too real um you know he to just let go of that and um you know accept his love and just forgive people it, it really it really is freeing you know you really you ask for forgiveness but you really don't 
sense that forgiveness until you forgive others. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. It was said that, you know, we don't get into heaven because we're holding on to Jesus. We get into heaven because Jesus is holding on to us. Um, and thank God for that, because it's easy in the difficult times to want to let go and just say, this is too hard, and I'm just going to sit it out, and I'm going to wait it out, um, or to get angry with God. I have a wonderful husband, and our, our marriage, albeit has not been a lot of fun in the last year and a half, has, has never wavered. Um, neither one of us have ever thought of bailing out, um, but it doesn't mean that it isn't hard. Um, and I think we both knew through everything that God was with us, and, and He was never going to leave our side. But after so long, you really start to wonder if He was if He's for you. Um, and sometimes you do have to stay put, and you do have to wait it out. And your reward on the other side is to become so much closer to Jesus, and that's the best thing of all. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Pastor Brown sayings of all time. In reality, no one wants to hear about your problems. And he said in the nicest way that he can get away with, in this world you will have struggles. So we all have them, and, and when all you do is focus on uh, your, your struggles in life, people don't want to hear about it. And so after a while, they're not going to want to hang out with you. So... I have discovered, and this message has highlighted to me, that if you just focus on what's wrong with your life, you're going to spend your days, you know, dark and lonely. I mean, it's real easy to just kind of stay in your comfort zone. You know, you want to sit by the pool and talk about your problems. You know, talk is cheap. It, it doesn't require any sacrifice, really, on our parts. It's just words, and you can... You know, everyone who's a Christian and a human can complain about something in their life that's unfair or, you know, their reality is not lining up to how they, they kind of wanted it to be. So you can sit and talk about it all day. That's easy. Sometimes it's hard to get up out of the chair and to press on into unfamiliar territory. The chair is familiar. and You know, the pool is familiar. It's easy. You, you've got to be willing to get up out of the comfy chair and strike out and maybe do some battle. I was Gomer. I was the one who left my family and I left my wife and three kids and to chase uh, chase the happiness, to find something. And for almost three years, um, I was my wife and I were separated. And Sharon was at home. She was with the boys. She was taking care of them. And, and the entire time that I was away, she was on her knees. She was praying for me. She never gave up hope that God would work in my life and bring me back. As the story goes on, Jim gets to the to, towards the end of the story of of Hosea going and buying Gomer and, and bringing her back. And Jim put it into context of today's terms of, of her being like at an auction and her being sold for a price and the auctioneer rattling off prices and somebody bidding and dropping out and in the back of the crowd, Hosea says, hey, I'll take her. I, I want her. And he calls out a price and, and he buys her. And, and as Gomer looks up and, and sees that it's Hosea and he's come back for her yet again. And the kids run to her and, and uh, you see this picture of this united, reunited family. And during the service, I just, I just kept crying because this was, it's like this story was read about me, but it was the husband and wife was flipped around. There was many a times in my relationship and um, my marriage, and that through that, there was times where I felt like I couldn't continue, um, that I felt like there was no hope. Um, I remember crying out to God many times that it, that I was done and I couldn't do it anymore. Don't give up. Fight for your marriage, um, even when it's difficult to to know that it's worth it and that God can get you through so much. Um, and he can give you that strength. And when you don't feel like you can do it anymore, it is God's strength that can get you through that. 
I'll say it again, but it was worth it, and it is it was worth fighting for our marriage. Amen. Don't go alone. Strongholds must be broken. Love covers all. Jesus is not just with you. He is for you. Listen, you have to want it. Stop the announce. I love what Jesus can do. I love uh, transformation stories. And that's why I do what I do. I don't, it's not for me. It's because I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And when you see stories like that, uh, I know for me personally, it's, uh, I watch this numerous times, and that's the kind of transformation that helps us know that it's worth believing in Jesus. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe one of those stories connected. I, I don't know where you've been in this journey over these last eight weeks in this quest. But wherever you're at, Jesus will meet you right there. And he'll help you walk you through that. My hope is this, as we wrap up this series and as we begin this quest in 2016, that when we come to these places in our lives this year, that we'll remember what the Word of God says. And that we'll know that this is the mooring point of truth. And that no matter what we face or what we encounter, with Christ, all things are possible. So where do we go from here? We, we begin to live out this journey. And we begin to see how that impacts us as a church. And the way that's done is we, we pray, we ask God what it is we believe that he wants for us. And out of that came the quest for Grace Community Church in 2016. And I'm going to ask that the men would bring across the quest, the goals that we have for this year. And I'm going to ask that you pull out this goal list that was in your bulletin. And I'm going to ask that you stand. You can slide it forward. I'm going to read these. These are our dreams. These are our aspirations. This is what we long to see happen in 2016. And I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you can do to make that happen too? So follow along with me as we look to 2016 and we let the quest begin for Grace Community Church. Follow along with me. Celebrate 1,000 people who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Rejoice with 500 people that go public with their love for Jesus and baptism. Go deeper with Grace for Iraq Mission Point by supporting the work so this becomes a mooring point of hope. Secure and acquire an off-campus option. Wow. Uh, To allow life on life to take place with attendees who deepen friendships and relationships. Implement a fresh plan to reach the 200,000 people who consider themselves unchurched in Elkhart County. Put into motion architectural drawings for campus expansion. Develop Christ followers who are dressed spiritually and physically every day to run to the front lines of the battle and push back darkness and guard the gates of their homes with Jesus as their commander-in-chief. Graduate 1,000 fully trained fight club men that reach their redemptive potential for Jesus. Witness 1,000 fully trained remarkable women that live beyond where they've ever deemed possible for Jesus. Raise children that would never run from Jesus and become bold witnesses in their schools. Explode our young adult ministry to reach the thousands in this community to help turn the tide of absent church involvement. Create environments for the Holy Spirit to be free to lead because of brokenness, humility, and repentant hearts. Witness hundreds of people break free of addictions, cycles, and patterns of sinful insanity, mediocre commitments, and listless evangelism. Become a church with 100% volunteer participation. There you go. How can you be part? 
15. Become the most generous church on planet Earth where every person gives back to God a minimum of 10% so the kingdom initiatives can be developed to keep us up with the giving. Watch prayer become the lifeline for every attendee as much as oxygen is for breathing so that God looks down and says, that must be that group from Grace Community. 17. Gain the attention of God because of our love for him and one another. Develop husbands who get their wives prepared to stand before Jesus in an unblemished way and lead their families as tender warriors. Assist wives so they follow their husbands and respect the way Jesus intended them to. Support, care, sin, and help our rescued orphans grow in their walks with Jesus so they become the leaders of Cambodia and Thailand. Blow the doors off a prayer encounter in such a way that the ground shakes as we pray. 254 250 more attendees become passport owners so that they can be ready at a moment's notice to take the gospel to the nation if God calls them to go. Do you have a passport? 23, build unbridled, unhindered worship and worshipers that lift high the name of Jesus in fresh, soul-changing ways. Seek and explore the options to gain a larger footprint in the social media world so that the message of Jesus goes viral. Raise up waves of single men and women growing in community, chasing hard after Jesus and unashamedly utilizing their gifts for God's kingdom in the season of life. Fully pay off mortgage and new expansion and be completely debt free. Find the best, most relevant, yet to be done outreaches that happens through our blitzes where thousands of Gracies hit the street. Find ways to assist people to fall deeply in love with the word of God in a fresh way. And energize effort in the strengthening building of more volunteers to make a larger impact of hope with the incarcerated and transitional people of our community. Add the brightest, godliest, hardest working, best fitted new teammates to assist further growth and vision. God gives give us a national and international stage to reach people for Jesus so that millions can hear and be saved. Witness 20 unplanned miracles from God this year. Develop a hunger for God's word where every attendee reads it every day. Send, commission five single couples into mission work. Become the fittest church on planet earth so we can move at a moment's notice to reach more for Jesus. Become a mentoring, supporting arm for hundreds of other churches with our ministry initiatives. Set aside pride and make fun, laughter, celebration, surprise, freedom, creativity, the unknown, joy, a winner's mentality, gratefulness, generosity, and faithfulness become core ingredients of our DNA. Become a church that takes every thought captive so that Jesus is glorified, where gossip, slander, and a critical spirit are squashed and freedom reigns. Let God station us strategically so that every person that calls grace their home church can become a mooring point of hope for people far from God and see every attendee lead one person to a life-changing relationship with Jesus and usher in the rapture of the church. Any amens for that? Yeah.